Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. And so Paul, obviously, he was rightly frustrated, rightly worried about what was going on, does away with the niceties, gets straight to the business of writing them this letter. And I used to think um, that get, uh, Paul had set up the church and he was doing really well, and then only maybe a couple of years later, uh, this stuff starts to happen and, and Paul starts to get worried, and that's why he writes Galatians to them. But I started to do some research and I started to find out that there's a very different picture of what is going on. You see, the Galatian church is not one town. It's a collection of towns. It's, it's more of a region, if you will. It's kind of like uh, Western Australia. There is, uh, there's the, what's up there? <laughs> Geraldton. <laughs> then there's Esperance. There's Albany, Perth, Big Park. And I, geography was not my thing. But you get the idea. Galatia is pretty massive. And, and I do have a map if it, if it does come up uh, in a few moments. You can see that Galatia spans a whole bunch of towns. And you can read about Paul's journey into Galatia as his first missionary journey. If you will, if you want to, it's brilliant. Read Acts chapters 13 and 14. He goes uh, uh, into um, Pamphylia, and then on to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Um, and those are uh, from Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby are all part of Galatia, and they're all part of the Galatian church um, that Paul visits. And in Acts chapters 13 and 14, you can read about what was going on there. And to my surprise, because I had never joined the dots together before, to my surprise, the Judaizers were there from the very beginning. When Paul entered Antioch and started preaching, he, he gathered such a massive crowd of people wanting to hear more, that the gospel resounded within them. There was a whole bunch of people saying, I need Jesus, I want, I want this salvation that you're talking about. Come back, teach us more, teach us more. There was a crowd that was beginning to form. But even when that was happening, the Judaizers were there and they were jealous. They didn't like it. And so in Antioch, what happened was that they gathered the crowd. They stirred up the crowd, the very same crowd who said, I want to hear more. And they said, get out of our town, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was Paul's um, traveling buddy. And they said, get out of town, literally. And so they left. And then they went on to the next town. Uh, I think it was at Iconium, the next place. Um, they started preaching and, and, and they started to gather again a crowd. A whole bunch of people were like, man, this is amazing. They were converts. They were believers. It was a good time. The Judaizers followed them, literally. And then they stirred out the crowd again. And, and, they, and they stirred them up. And this time around, they wanted to cause Paul and Barnabas harm. But by some uh, God intervention, they, they managed to escape. And they go to the next town known as Lystra. And they go to Lystra. They start to preach. A whole bunch of people listen. And then the Judaizers come again. This time around. This time around, they actually catch Paul. Take him out of town and throw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And then they left him thinking that he was dead. And then because God, Paul pops up again and then they go on to Derby. It's like, okay, that's, if you will. 
The Judaizers was not a new problem for the Galatian church. The Galatian church had faced the Judaizers since day one. But do you know something really interesting? It was at Antioch that people started calling these believers Christians. It was in Antioch that the name Christians became known. Even in the face of such opposition, the early Galatian church became the original Christians. They, they still stood for something. There was still something within that church that they continued on in their faith. So much so that the, the fame of, of that church became known and people started to need to find a name, a label for this group of people. And then they went, they, they, they followed Jesus Christ, don't they? Let's call them Christians. That was happening in the Galatian church all at the same time. But this is where things got confusing as I was thinking about this because I, I thought that the Judaizers came in later and that's why Paul was writing this letter to them. But what was going on was that right from the first day, there was already a different gospel that was being preached that was contrary to what Paul was talking about. And it started to make me think about this fact that even though Paul was one of the most amazing teachers, one of the clearest preachers of the Word of God. You can read about this in Galatians 1 and 2. What, what Paul actually has to do is that he has to write about his credentials and about the message that he was carrying. He talks about how he received a revelation of the full gospel from Jesus himself. What happened was that Paul used to be a man named Saul, and Saul used to go around killing Christians. And it was on one of those journeys that Paul encounters God uh, uh, there was a light that shone, uh, shone down. He became blind. And in that period, as we piece things together, that, that period, he began to see supernaturally uh, into what the gospel actually was. Paul talks about how, in another letter, he talks about how he was caught up into, uh, into the heavens and, and, and God explains the gospel to him. And that's why Paul can write so many books of the Bible because God himself revealed the mysteries to Paul. That's why when you read Romans, it's thick, it's packed full of stuff in it. When you read even Galatians, a short book with six chapters, there's so much truth in it because Paul caught a revelation of Jesus Christ. But Paul didn't just go based on that alone. He corroborated his message. He went to Jerusalem. He talked to uh, uh, Peter. And he talked to John. And he talked to these other disciples who have followed Jesus and were now apostles of the early church. And he said, is this message the same? He made sure that the message he was preaching was from God and was spoken of by other authorities in the early church. His gospel was clear his gospel was true. I imagine that if Paul stood here today as pastor of this church, man, I would love it. I think that Big Park would be changed in two days. I think you guys will all be giants. But as I said, I'm selfish and you guys are stuck with me. Too bad. I haven't been calling on God to bring Paul the Apostle back for you guys. I'm sorry. Maybe I should. But I think that if there was such an amazing teacher, surely there would not have been any doubt Surely the message would have gone through. Surely 
the early Galatian church would not have been so confused by this second gospel that was coming in. And I started to get really frustrated with this Galatian church. And I'm thinking about them. So one moment you're like, Paul, you're the greatest. Come back, speak to us. Next moment, I'm going to kill you. Stirred up by this crowd of people that wanted them circumcised. It's like, oh yeah, I'll follow the circumcision people. Let's kill the guy that's preaching about grace. Pretty crazy, isn't it? But as I started to look into this, I started to see that maybe I'm not so different from the Galatians. What do I mean? I think that in my life, doubt has crept in into my heart many times. A different gospel has come into my heart and informed my behaviors, my thoughts, and my actions. It's come in and it's counter to what I know the Word of God says, or sometimes I don't even know what the Word of God says about it. But then it pulls me away. The doubts pull me away from the Bible, away from the truth of God's word. And that has happened. And I started to realize that this is something that is a problem for us today. Because one of the biggest problems that I think we are faced with in this culture, this day and age, is that it tells us that faith must be doubtless. It tells us if there's any questions placed about your faith, if you have any doubt whatsoever, then you have no faith. So what people think is that you can only either be 100% confident about every single thing about Christianity or you've got nothing at all. I've sat with people and people who are amazing people who, who, who astound me with their depth of understanding about God. But then the next moment they say, but this is happening in my life and I don't know if I can trust God anymore. I don't know if God is really good. I don't know if God's even real. And I'm like, who are you? One moment you are full of faith, next moment you are full of doubt. And, and it's like this, this little seed of doubt has pulled this person away. You know, I sat down with one of my friends. I do consider uh, them a friend, a, a close friend that I've been, a, 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 I met her at uni and it was great. And, and she says, you know, Nate, I believe that there is a God. There must be a God. And the Christian God looks pretty good, but the way that he deals with homosexuals, I don't like. So I don't think he's the right one. Just because of one area of doubt, they throw the truth that they do know completely out of the window. And I believe that many of us are in a similar position in our life. What I mean by that is that one moment we're like, God's great, God is good, I know all of that stuff, but then something happens. We begin to doubt one aspect of God and suddenly our whole faith has been pulled out from under our feet. And I'm not saying this as you guys are weak and you guys are bad Christians. I'm saying that as my journey. I remember that you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew God from, uh, from a very young age. I like to tell people I was baptized in my mother's womb because that's what I remember. It was God all the way right from the beginning of time. <laughs> when the waters broke, I was baptized. 
Older women are like cringing right now. <laughs> Sorry. Got out my fun. I'm home. I'm allowed to. I wasn't allowed to joke last week. But, you know, I know God all that time. But I remember that there was a season where because I didn't get something that I really wanted, I didn't think God loved me. I knew those verses. God so loved the world. God is love. God loves you. Again, you know, I can probably turn to like 15 different chapters of the Bible and it's all about God's love for you. But because I didn't get what I wanted, I didn't know if God was good. And I started to realize that we've got a real problem. Because if we think that faith and doubt are on opposite ends of the spectrum, your faith is going to take an absolute hammering. You probably won't have any faith. I imagine that in the early church, after they received the gospel from, Jesus, uh, from, from Paul, uh, these Judaizers, they came in and they started to ask questions. This is my imagination. It's not found in the Bible. But I imagine that they started to ask things like, do you think that it really is that simple? That after all the wrong that you've done, all God wants you to do is to say, I believe you, and then get dunked under some water, and then you get eternal life. That sounds a little bit too easy. Is God really that good? After all the sin that you've done, is He going to overlook all of that stuff? No, no I, I think that you need to chop a bit of your penis off. Because then God will love you. And the Galatians are like, oh, I doubt God's goodness. Do you get a picture? I know I'm kind of playing it up a little bit. But do you get the picture? Suddenly there's a little bit of doubt. It's like, and I, I sit with people and I say, I know God loves people. I know that God forgives, but He can't forgive me. Why is it a different standard? Because there's a little bit of doubt inside of their heart that say, that's it's too good. God doesn't know me enough. God doesn't understand what I've done. It's like, yeah, yeah, God doesn't understand. It's like, but, you know, it's, it's crazy. We, are, we allow ourselves to, to, to allow our doubts to inform our faith. But the truth is that our faith and doubts work together a lot more than you know. The problem with the Galatian church is that they didn't deal with their doubts when it first came in. They allowed it to continue on and to continue on. Instead of feeding their faith, they were fueling their doubts. And a few years down the track, they ended up with a new gospel, a different gospel, a powerless gospel, a gospel that was different to the one that was preached to them right from the very start. And God started to show me that we need to know how to make friends with doubt. If I can give you an analogy, Pastor Beck spoke last week about faith and doubt as well. And, and, and I hope that this builds on what she was talking about because she talked about how we need to be... Sorry, there's a fly. Um, I was, that wasn't a... It was a holy gesture. Uh, I, you know, Pastor Beck talk, talked about being faithful... Um, to the faithful one, you know, about, about trusting God and having faith in God. And you said, don't choose doubt. And, and, and to build on that, how I see faith and doubt working is that faith is like a plant in your garden. It's like a tree. And what, we, what, what doubt is, is, is crap. 
is like manure. You know, my, my, my parents, who, who love us very much, did some gardening for us, and I love them, but the smell of their work <laughs> scattered around the windows, the plants near the windows, started to waft in, into the house. Doubt stinks. But placed in the right place, positioned in the right place, it provides nutrients for the plant to grow. What we need to understand is that doubt is something that we can use to feed our faith. When doubt comes into your heart, you need to learn how to take that doubt and not just run with that doubt and feel that doubt. We need to say, why is this happening? Why am I doubting? What question does this raise? When I started to understand that I was doubting God, but deeper than that, I was more doubting that He intended good for me. It wasn't so much that I doubted that there was a God, but I was more doubting that He had good intentions for me. Then I started to dive a little bit deeper. And then I started to go, why does God not want good for me? What is the truth? I used the doubts to seek the truth, and upon finding the truth, I found my faith strengthened. I started to find that even though I didn't think that God wanted to do good for me, that, or there was that doubt anyway, when I started to dive deeper, I started to see that God's goodness is not the same as my goodness. What I consider good is different to God's good. And then I started to see that God's good is better than my good. In fact, my good looks like bad next to God's good. I know I'm confusing some people, but that's where I was at. I was trying to figure this thing out. I was thinking that God wanted me to be de depressed and alone, but I started to realize that, no, 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 no. My desires were making me depressed and alone, and God had a bigger plan for me, and He was drawing me out to have faith that He was the only one that was going to be able to satisfy the deepest desires of my soul. When I started to realize that, my faith started to grow. That doesn't mean that the doubts don't come in, but it means that I know how to take that doubt, stuff it into the soil of my soul, and say, grow my faith. I'm choosing to allow my faith to be fed by my doubts rather than to choose the doubts and just end up with a crap heap. That's right. I hope that this is making sense because I think that this is really important. We don't need to go around telling people that because they have doubts they're not being a good Christian. We need to help people find answers. We need to sit with people when terrible things have happened in their life. And sometimes we don't fully know the right answer. But at some point when it's possible to come back to the truth. You know, in my life... Like I said, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I started to um, doubt or not quite understand who God was. And, and I was reading a, uh, a biography about an early church father, not too early, probably the last couple of hundred years or something, and actually more like the last hundred years. And, and he became one of the greatest preachers in America. And, and one of the things that he did after he found God is that he read his Bible. He would write down the promises of God for his life. Every single lunch break, he would go find a clearing in a, in a bush garden place 
and he would literally just read the promises of God to himself till he believed it. I read that probably about eight, nine years ago. And the thing that stuck with me is that I've got all my doubts about God's goodness, but I've got nothing to go on in my faith. I didn't know any promises from God. I know the, the standard John 3.16, God loves me. What does that look like? What does that even mean? What does it mean when I'm feeling this way? What does it mean when, when, when I'm feeling depressed? What does, it fe- what does it mean when I'm feeling alone? What does, it feel, what does it mean when I'm feeling hopeless? And then I started to realize I wasn't feeding my faith. I allowed my feelings to fuel my doubts, but I wasn't choosing to feed my faith. That started me on a journey of, started, of reading the Word of God and understanding that there's more truth in here than you can ever find anywhere else. That there's stuff in here that will cause your faith to grow exponentially. And when your faith grows, you start to see things happen. You start to see breakthrough happen in your life. You start to see things with a different eye. Am I saying that life is easy? No. Am I saying that life is simple? Absolutely not. There are things that I still don't understand, but I have a faith that can stand the test of any trial in my life. Why? Because I've been feeding my faith. I love doubts. I won't eat doubt. I don't want to be near doubt, but I know that doubt will feed my faith. I started to realize that we've got a problem in our culture because we don't know anything about truth. We started to equate truth with feelings. And I, have you ever heard someone, you, you're, 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 you're presenting the best truth possible and you're, you're, you're having this discussion, shall we call it a discussion, and, and you say whatever you need to say and the person says, that doesn't sound true to me. That just doesn't sound right. That does, doesn't have a ring of truth to it. You know what they're saying? I'm not feeling it. You know, when I was a single man and, and I was trying to figure out how I know whether the person is the right person, you know, half the people in this room, you're thinking about those questions. And, and, and something that always got me so frustrated, I would come to this lovely, God-fearing couple and I'll say, how do I know whether this girl is the right girl for me or not? And they say, you'll just know. And I say, how do, okay, how do, you, how do you know? What does it what does it mean? He's like, oh, you just, you just know <laughs> that you know, that you know. Saying it more times doesn't it make it any easier to grasp. Every girl that I liked, I knew she was the right one. <laughs> I was like, oh, and, and you, can, you can explain it away. Like, oh, she's so different from the last one. The last one's an absolute cow, and this one is really cool. <laughs> you know, don't, you guys are hypocrites. You guys all thought that before. And we've kind of equated knowing with feeling. We've equated conviction with the depth of feeling. I feel so strongly about it. I'm convicted by God. It's like, no, you just had bad pizza. <laughs> it's like, how, I, I love sitting down with people. It's like, what, what, what's God got for you? I'm, I'm trying to feel it out right now. It's like, why don't you know it out? Why don't you dive down and, and find out how God's wired you? You know, go through the shape course that we've got for you and, and start to place 
truth planks in your life that builds your faith. You know, I'm standing on a bit of a soapbox at the moment because I feel deeply about this, but I don't trust my emotions. My emotions get me in trouble all the time. All the time. Anytime I've done something wrong, you know what's at fault? My emotions. Not my truth. Not my knowledge. It's always my emotions that are getting me in trouble. But yet people constantly think about how they feel in order to determine their path and their truth. No, no, no. God's truth doesn't change whether you feel it or not. God's love for you doesn't change whether you feel it or not. God's desire, His call on your life, your purpose, the skills, the talents, it doesn't change because you're not feeling it. It's the truth. And I'm going to feel my faith rather than feel my doubts. I'm going to find a truth that is based on God rather than my emotions. Do you know how to defend your faith? If someone asks you questions that, that was tough, and I get it, there are tough questions out there. But do you know how to at least try to defend it? Do you at least have the tenets of truth that you can base your faith on? Or you just got some airy-fairy feeling thing because next week you're not going to feel so good and maybe you're going to doubt whether God even exists. told you it was a bit of a soapbox. I get pretty passionate about this. But you know, I, I think we need this. I feel a little bit like Paul sometimes where it's like, man, haven't we gone through this before? Haven't we talked about this before? And the person's like, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But, it's like, don't you butt me, butt out. If you know that that's the truth, why are you acting differently? Why are you allowing doubt to inform your decisions? Why are you allowing, use that doubt, find, talk to someone. Someone who's a little bit ahead of you on the journey and say, hey, I've got this real problem. I don't know how to deal with that situation. You know, I've got friends that are like asking me why I'm so judgmental, why I'm so intolerant. I don't know how to answer them. Why did God put that in the Word of God? Why, why is it in the Bible? Why don't you ask someone? Rather than go, oh, yeah, I'll go chop my penis off. <laughs> that's just, I know it's a bit graphic and it's a bit out there, but that's what we do. That's how Christians act. That's why the world has ammunition against us. And it says that Christianity is some figment of imagination, that if you take signs, you'll be able to completely take down Christianity. But what I found on my journey is that science has got nothing on Christianity. It's got nothing on faith. God, in the Word of God, you, you can find things that scientists are only now discovering. We've got something special. So can I just make a couple of last comments? Christian, if you find someone who is doubting, don't tell the person to bury their doubts. Help them work it out. Help them place it in their life in a way that will help their faith to grow. Parents, can you allow your kids to ask you questions that are difficult? And don't, don't, don't push them aside. Say, maybe if you don't understand, then good, find out for yourself. Take it as a journey of exploration yourself. The next generation is screaming out for answers. 
You know, as we are starting up a youth group, I love this because I'm speaking with young people and young people are saying, stop feeding us pizza and playing games. Tell me how to deal with my friendship issues. Tell me how Christ changes the stress, the depression, the anxiety in my life. The church has got answers. We just need to find them. We need to discover them. If you've got doubts, you are in a great position. You're in a great position to feed your faith. But if you're in a position right now, today, if you're in a position of doubt and you don't know what to do about it, catch up with someone with a coffee. Someone who's a bit ahead of, the, ahead of you in the faith. Catch up with myself. Any of our live group leaders say, can, can, can we talk about something? I'm really struggling. Or even a phone call. Start to feed your faith and not fuel your doubts. Galatians 1 and 2 paints a story of a, of a man who, who knows the truth, was presenting the truth, but was faced with the people that would rather hold on to their doubts. My prayer is that this is not going to be the same for us at Live Church. Am I saying doubts don't exist? Absolutely not. But what are you going to do about those doubts? How are you going to grow? How are you going to learn? Are you going to base your life on conviction? Or is your life going to be based on emotion? Can we get the band up this morning? To be honest, I don't really know how to end off this morning. Because I feel like there's something going on. And I'm not quite sure what it is. I know I'm talking about feelings. It's kind of a bit strange. <laughs> so are you allowed to do that? I'm not saying feelings are bad. They guide us. But I need to base my life on truth and then allow the feelings to come in. And right now, I brought the truth and I'm trying to feel out what God is wanting to do with us this morning. But before we go any further, can I just talk to people who maybe you've heard about Jesus before, maybe you've walked away from Jesus. Maybe you once had a faith, maybe you've never had faith. Maybe doubts are there encircling you. Let me just bring to you the clear, simple truth. This is the same truth that Paul preached to the Galatian church in Acts 13. In Acts 13, 38 to 39, Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. It's freed from everything. If you feel bound up, if you feel like your life is restricted, if you feel like you're trying to work out why is it that your life is so devoid of meaning and purpose, maybe that's because you don't have Jesus in your life. The man who came, God who became man, who lived on earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sin, rose again on the third day. All facts that can be corroborated by history, mind you, not some fairy tale that I concocted while I had a bad night. These are all 
all historical facts. And then he rose again, appeared to hundreds of believers and said, I am showing you the way to eternity. I'm showing you life, more and better life, real and eternal life, that if you will confess with your lips and believe in your heart that I am Lord, that day salvation is yours. That is a simple truth. I know that you've got other questions. I know that there are other things that try to steal away, but the simple message is this, that in and of yourself, you will never find salvation. In and of yourself, you will never find fulfillment. You will only find a deep pit of despair and of hopelessness. I have been there before, and I found that only with Christ can I find truth, can I find conviction to base my life on, can I find meaning and purpose, and along with that, hope, peace, joy. Anything good comes from God. And if this morning you want that goodness, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. So can we get everyone just to close your eyes for a moment? Can I ask that if you want to invite Jesus into your life, I'm going to count to three. And then at the count of three, just put your hand up and then back down again. Simple thing, just so that we can lead you into this prayer. This is probably one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray in your life. It's going to set you up. So one, God loves you so much. Two, He's given everything for you and He's opened up a way of life for you. Now you just have to accept Him. Three, is anyone here who would like to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Fantastic. Awesome. Can we just say this prayer together? Dear Heavenly Father, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Help grow my faith. Help me deal with my doubts that I might see you clearer. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.